Good morning. Church, I want you to listen in on a conversation. It's a, it's a prayer, so to speak, a cry of the heart that wrestles with despair. And it kind of goes like this. God, why are you not dealing with these people who are against me? God, I, I can't believe you're letting them get away with that. Why, why would you let them treat me like this? God, why are you not defending me? God, why would you let your enemies bring pain to your beloved? Why are you not working in this right now? I just don't see you. Don't you care about me, God? Don't you rise up and do something? Don't I matter to you? I I thought you were for me. I thought you loved me. I thought you were good and always in control. It just feels like, God, you're against me. Maybe you're punishing me. Maybe I deserve this pain. God, I... I know what your word says, and I want to believe it, but I want to trust you, but I just can't seem to get there. God, help me, lead me, change me. I just don't feel your presence. I want to believe you for your best, but I'm struggling. I feel let down, abandoned, alone, exhausted, and lost. God, I've lost hope, but God, you are my God. Help me. I need you. Can you relate to any of those statements? That right there is the cry of the man or woman who's struggling with despair. And that right there is the cry of the psalmist in Psalm 43. And we're going to look into Psalm 43 today and we're going to learn from it and see what it means to overcome despair. And by the time we're all said and done, we're going to uh, look to God. We're going to be reminded of God and who God is and what God has done and what God has pledged to do himself for us, for us. So go ahead and turn there now. If you need a Bible, just raise your hands. We've got ushers that will be coming down to get you a copy of God's word. And go ahead and turn to Psalm 43. And as you're getting there, let me just say this. We, We know that this topic of despair is quite a struggle. And we we do see that here in frequency through counseling. And we love you. And so, so as we talked about this, we, we decided to do a part two so that we all may cultivate a heart of hope in the midst of unbelief. And so this is going to be the part two today of overcoming despair. If you missed last week's message from Pastor Tim, you can catch it online. It was a great message. You'll want to listen to that. Psalm 43 is where we're going to be. And let me just pray this before we get started. Father, you have given the Holy Spirit who reveals truth to us. He is our teacher. And so I pray that you would encourage and convict and change us today, God. God, I I believe that there are those here who are wrestling in despair, and so I pray that they would make the shift, that they would move from despair to hope. And God, I pray for all of us that you would equip us with your word and your truth, that we may know how to stand in the gap for you and help those who are wrestling with despair. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's point number one in your sermon notes. If you've got a toxic booklet, why don't you just hold that up? I want to see that this morning. Beautiful. Look at all those books. Page 44 if you're not there. And uh, your first point is this, recognize and resist the three voices of despair. You know, Psalm 42 and 43 are companion psalms. And they're united with the common cry 
of why am I in despair? I must put my hope in God. And although we can't uh, know for sure exactly who wrote this psalm, we do know that the psalmist was wrestling with unbelief leading to despair, yet at the same time longing for confidence in God and his word. In fact, look at the psalm there. You'll see eight times in this psalm, in just those short five verses, uh, the psalmist mentions God. Eight times. Two times the psalmist calls him my God. One time he calls him God, I love this, my exceeding joy. One time the God in whom I take refuge, and one time he refers to him as God as his salvation. So there's a wrestling here with what he knows to be true about God and God's promises, yet, yet, yet what he's feeling and what his circumstances are saying. So let's just walk these, uh, these verses here. We're going to look at the three wrong voices of despair, ultimately leading to the right voice in the midst of unbelief. And watch carefully now, because you're going you're to see someone make a move here. He's going to move from despair to hope. And I want you to watch the wrestle, because what we're going to see here now is this. Listen, what's in our hearts ultimately directs where we head. You ready? You ready? All right, here we go. Uh, 1A, first voice of despair. My problem is them, help me, God. My problem is them, help, help them, help me, God. It says, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. Uh, help me out here. The psalmist here wants God to Vindicate who? Me, himself, right? Whose cause does he want God to defend? His own, his, right? And who did he want God to vindicate him from? Who were his enemies? Who was his problem? It was an ungodly people, right? The deceitful and unjust men. Some of your translations there may say an ungodly nation. Either way, these were uh, men who were sinners against the God of Israel and his people. And the psalmist here feels totally uh, oppressed. He feels treated unjustly. He feels like he's been treated cruelly. And the identity of the enemy, we don't know for sure. Maybe it was those who grabbed him and dragged him off into exile. All right? Maybe it was those who just taunted him and persecuted him for his faith. You know, back in Psalm 42.3, we know the psalmist there was dealing with people saying this, Where is your God? Where is your God? Where is your, it's like, he can't even help you. Where is he? He's nowhere to be found. Where is he? And so the psalmist cries out to God, what? Deliver me. Deliver me. Vindicate, defend, and deliver me from these godless people. They are my problem, God. And I am struggling to believe you because of my circumstances, God. You know, church, this is, uh, as I was thinking this week, this is courtroom language, right? Vindicate me, defend me, and deliver me, oh God. He wants God to what? Raise his righteous right hand and swing the gavel. Swing the gavel on them. Show everybody, God, that you are my righteous judge, that you are my omniscient defense counsel. Swing the gavel and do what? Vindicate me. Show everybody that I'm innocent, that they're guilty. Swing it. 
God, be my defense counsel. Plead my case. Show them I'm right. They're wrong. They're against you, then they're against me. Swing the gavel and deliver me. Rescue me from these godless people who are making my life, God, unbearable and depressing. Lord, defend me from my enemies, is what he's saying. Do you hear the voice? As we get to verse 2, you're going to see this is not a cry of confidence. It's a cry of mourning in the midst of despair. Psalmist is beginning to look at his circumstances and wonder why people seem wiser and bigger than his God. You know you're headed for despair when people seem bigger than God to you. When people seem bigger than God, when circumstances seem larger than my Lord, be careful. You know you're cycling down into despair. Look, our God knows. And our God has the power to act. Amen? God alone can vindicate the psalmist. Listen now, I want you to hear this. God knows. Every secret sin on earth is an open scandal in heaven. Okay? Every secret sin on earth is an open scandal in heaven. And God has the authority, and God is omniscient, and God is the one who can defend his, his, the psalmist here, his child. And he is the one that can swing the gavel and prosecute the enemy, so to speak. And he has the same power in your circumstances today. He is faithful, he is just, he is able. Look, times of tribulation, they either make us or break us. It's through those times that we choose to either draw near to God in difficulty or we choose to move away from God in the midst of difficulty. So let me ask you today, which are you choosing? Which are you choosing? We're going to see the psalmist now drift further away. Listen to the second voice. My problem, point B in your notes, my problem is you, God. What are you doing? For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Here it is, the first why now. See here, why have you rejected me? You see it? Why have you rejected me? Here's another why. Why do, I go, why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. The perspective keeps getting worse. He's gone from blaming people to blaming God. Why, 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 God? He's like, God, I'm going to you. God, I'm seeking refuge in you, but I don't see you doing anything. I don't at least see you doing what I want you to do. And so he prays, God, why have you rejected me? And this is important. Do you see what the psalmist does here? He basically says, God, if my circumstances aren't good, then you aren't good, God. See it? He basically says, if the cares of my life haven't changed, Lord, then you must not care for me. That's big. I wrote this down. He basically says, God, you're the problem. Because I don't see you doing what I thought you would do in my way, on my timeline, according to my will. And if I don't see it my way, I'll just believe instead that you have rejected me and have failed to be and do what I think a loving, caring, sovereign God should do for me in this moment, you see. And that's such a wrong view of God. And oh, it's a dangerous place for our hearts to be, church. Everybody say despair. 
see the cycle down. He's cycling down. The psalmist is mourning here. And in it, he's accusing God and wallowing in self-pity. If you were here last week, you remember uh, Pastor Tim gave us uh, the four ingredients to, to self-pity. And man, we see two of them here for sure. Okay, uh, lack of confidence in God's love, we see. Okay, what? God, why, why would you do this? Why aren't you doing it? Don't you love me? And lack of confidence in God's promises is the next one we see. God, I don't think you're trustworthy. I don't think you're going to come through. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Church, when you know who God is and what God has done and how much he loves you in Christ, look, how much he loves you in Christ and you still think that God has rejected you and can't help you, that's about as bottom as it goes. That's where hopelessness consumes us, and here's why. When I forsake the very one in whom I'm supposed to cling to, there is no sure footing any longer. When I forsake the very one in whom I'm supposed to be clinging to, there is no sure footing any longer. You're like... You're like a kid, a little kid learning to roller skate in the middle of an empty parking lot. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. You're going to look to grab onto something. But nothing's going to be there. Because God alone is our support. Because God alone is our support. When you reject our only hope, there is no hope left, you see. When you reject our only hope, then there is no hope left. So instead, we ought to pray in our severe circumstances, God, my strength is in you no matter what. If what I see and what I feel says something different to me, then I'm going to believe what I know to be true about you, and I'm going to act on it. Listen now, my faith will be my engine. My feelings will be my caboose. My faith will lead. My faith will drive. Your word will drive. What I know to be true will drive. My feelings will be the caboose. As I heard uh, Dr. Joel Stoll say once, he said, and I quote him, when trials come to us, they are used by God to make us, not break us. They are used to refine us, mold us, mature us, and conform us to the image of God's Son, that's the truth about trouble, end quote. And when we know that truth about trouble, now we begin to run towards our loving, sovereign, good God. We run towards him and not away from him. So let me ask you, what does your heart say? What is your heart saying today? Are you in despair do you recognize these voices of they're the problem, you're the problem? Resist. Resist those. The psalmist is going to give us one more. He's going to give us one more voice. One more wrong voice. The third one is this, uh, point C in your notes now. Uh, my problem is me. Why is my heart so torn? Problem is them, problem is you. Now problem is me. Why is my heart so torn? Look what he says. Send out your light and your truth. This is a prayer. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. 
Look at verse 4. He says, then, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. I don't know. Is it lyre? Is it lyre? Where's Larry? Pastor Larry? I don't know. I'll praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. As we dig into this, we see the, the psalmist here, his heart is, is torn. His heart is divided. He wishes it wasn't the case. You ever been there? He feels distant from God, and he wants God to draw him back. And so he says this, he says, then I will. God, then I will. Then I will go to your altar, experience your joy, and praise your name. He's torn always torn, and he's not the only one in the Bible to feel this way. And probably, if we're being honest, we've felt this way before as well. A divided, torn heart, wavering with what I know to be true versus what my circumstances are currently saying and what my feelings are screaming at me. He's torn. You see it in Mark's gospel, chapter 9. You remember the father of the boy who cried out the familiar statement, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. He's torn. I do. I do believe you, God. God, help me. Because I kind of also don't. Or how about the psalmist? I love Psalm 8611. It says, unite my heart to fear your name. What a, what a great prayer that is. God, God, give me an undivided heart that I would fear your name alone. Give me an undivided heart. Unite my heart. Heart, oh God, help me. And so what does the psalmist want? Well, he wants to know a constant, uninterrupted experience of God as his exceeding joy again. He feels torn, he feels distant, he feels lost. He wants to know a constant, uninterrupted experience of God as his exceeding joy again. But in reality, he feels shaken and forsaken. He knows that God has not forsaken him. But it feels like he has. And so he prays. And the beauty of this prayer is he's no longer asking just to be led out of trouble. What's he asking? To be led closer to God. What a beautiful thing as he's making progress and wrestling here. And he calls him God, my exceeding joy. I want to be closer to you, God, my exceeding joy. What a great title there. What a great description. God, my exceeding joy. And you see in that there's depth to that prayer. There's maturity to that prayer. There's a man who has experienced the incomparable love and riches and goodness of God, and he wants it again. He wants his faith to crush his unbelief, despair. So look at his prayer here. Let's look at this here. He says, God, send out your what? Send out your what? Send out your light. He's like, let your light lead me back. Now, what do you think he's feeling? He's feeling defeated, and he's feeling in the dark. He doesn't know what's going on. And so God, send out your light to lead me. He needs the eyes of his heart and light into spiritual realities. This is a spiritual thing. He doesn't need a flashlight. He's like, God, guys, God, he's like, enlighten me. Enlighten my heart to know. Send out your light. Please, God. He prays for light, and he prays for truth. Prays for truth to guide him, and truth is what's real. 
Truth is what's real. It's the promises of God that remain when our world feels rocked, shaken, and torn. It's what's real. And what's the ultimate desire here of the prayer? It's for God himself. And so he says what? Let them, let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling, to your altar. He's really saying here, church, let them lead me to you. The final goal of all of this is to experience, constant, uninterrupted experience of God as his exceeding joy. And so you see the wrestle. In the midst of his despair, he's seeking to direct his heart. He wants to anchor his heart in the promises of God. He wants to anchor his soul in him. You remember last week, Pastor Tim talked about doubt. Doubt was, is wavering between two opinions. And so the psalmist here, he's fighting. He's fighting to anchor himself in one opinion, God's. Look, he's a, he, he's desperately wanting to drop the anchor of his life onto God. He wants to just drop it and let it stick and hold. But he's struggling to let it go. God, I want to, but I, I, I get. And so everybody just kind of go like this. But that's the picture. Surrender. Let it go. Put your arms down. Stop fighting. He wants to drop the anchor of his soul onto him alone, but he's struggling to do so. So, is that you? Are you wrestling today with a torn, divided heart? Are you fighting and praying for faith in the midst of doubt? Do you long for God? Who do you look to in the dark nights of the soul, so to speak? What do you hope will bring you hope, true hope? Divided heart is not a good place to be, but we don't have to stay there, and that's the great news. We got three voices of despair, three wrong voices. Problem is them, problem is you, problem is me. Recognize and resist and pursue the right voice. Here's the good news, number two now in your notes. Pursue the healthy voice of hope and worship. Pursue the healthy voice of hope and worship. I'm going to read verse 5 in a minute. Before I do, I want to share this story with you. I heard this once. Um, so there was a lady that went down to the pet store. And she was struggling. She had some really difficult circumstances going on in her life. And she wanted something that was going to bring her comfort in the midst of her heartbreak. And so the pet store owner introduced her to a talking parakeet. And she thought, this is awesome. I love this bird. I want the bird. So she brings the parakeet home. She spends about a week talking to the parakeet. But the parakeet doesn't say anything, nothing. So she goes back to the pet store owner and says, look, I got the bird. I talked to the bird. The bird's not saying anything. He says, I'm so sorry. No problem. I forgot to give you the mirror. You put the little mirror in the cage. The bird likes to look at itself and talk. And so do that. The bird will talk. 
She brings the mirror home, puts the little mirror in the little cage, spends about a week talking to the bird. Nothing. The bird won't talk. So she goes back then to the store, says to the owner, he's, he's not talking. So sorry, I forgot to give you the swing. He, he needs a little swing, he likes to swing, look at himself, and then he'll talk. Great, thank you. Goes home, puts the tiny little swing in the cage, bird's swinging back and forth, looking at himself in the mirror. About a week goes by, bird still won't talk. She's talking to the bird, the bird won't talk back. She's getting a little upset now. She goes back to the pet store, says, bird's still not talking. Owner says, okay, I'm sorry. I think what the bird needs is his ladder. I forgot to give you the ladder. So you give the little ladder in the cage there, look in the mirror, swing, get the picture, going up and down the ladder, bird will talk. She brings the ladder home, talks to the bird for about a week, still nothing. The bird won't talk. In fact, the bird, at one day, the bird was walking up and down the ladder, fell off, and died. She's furious. She goes back to the pet store and says, the bird is dead. The bird died. The store owner says to the lady, I'm so sorry. That's terrible. Did he say anything before he died? She said, yes. The bird fell off the ladder, looked at me and said, don't they sell any food at that pet store? <laughs> The bird hadn't eaten in four weeks. The woman kept buying all the wrong stuff. And that's exactly what we look to in the midst of our despair, church. All the wrong stuff. The things we hope will solve our problems die on us because we're looking to the wrong thing. There's only one place to look. Everybody point there. Up. Up to God. There is only one place to look. And the psalmist is finally going to get there. He's pursuing that. He's going to look to God as he does what? He's going to rebuke and exhort his own soul. Look what he says now. Go to verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Here it is. Hope in God. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope in God. Hope. Hope. What's that word? Say it with me. Hope. It's hope. And hope in who? Say it with me. God, hope in God, hope, I wrote down, is the confident, undying expectation that what God says in his word is true and will happen. It's hope. It is the confident, undying expectation that what God says in his word is true and will happen. I'll give that to you one more time. Hope is the confident, undying expectation that what God says in his word is true and will happen. This here church is self-talk. He's gone from talking to God to talking to himself. He's gone from speaking to God to speaking to himself. And take a guess who your most frequent counselor is. 
It's yourself. No one speaks to us as much as we do. And if you're like me, you got a line for yourself on everything, right? We say all kinds of things to ourselves. And so what you say to yourself is crucial. It's crucial. Look, here it is. You have to preach hope to yourself when all your circumstances are preaching despair. You have to preach hope to yourself, hope in God, when all your circumstances are preaching despair. That's what the psalmist does. That's the way up from the depths of despair. He talks to God, and then he exhorts his own soul to hope in God. Look, here it is. Handle yourself with truth. Instead of listening to yourself, talk to yourself. Handle yourself with truth. God, you are my salvation. I may not feel that way. It may not look like that. I'm anchoring myself to what is true. You are my salvation. You are my shield. You are my anchor. You are for me. You will satisfy me in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You and you alone, God, my hope is in you. I will take you at your word. And so you're handling yourself with truth. You're preaching hope and truth to yourself. And preach the gospel to yourself daily. That Jesus Christ died for me. That I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. That Christ died for me, that he loves me, that he hung on a tree to bring me the unrighteous to the righteous God, that all my sins have been placed on him, that all his righteousness has been placed on me, that I'm free and there's no condemnation. Preach truth. We preach the gospel. The psalmist is preaching what is true. We must do the same. That's the pursuit of the healthy voice of hope and worship. In fact, if you could put those two hearts up, the restored and the unrestored, I want to take a, just a quick look at this again. You remember, we've been looking at this here, these two hearts, and if you want to go to page 36 and 37 in your book there, that's where they are. And, and all I want to do here, church, is I want you to notice the shift. I want you to notice the move that he's seeking to make as he prays to God and speaks uh, truth to himself to hope in God. Okay, and what he's doing is he's exhorting himself to move from doubt and self-pity and the lies of unbelief right there in the unrestored heart. He's exhorting himself to move to what? The strength and the hope and the continual believing of faith in God and his promises. This is the pursuit of the healthy voice. You see it right there, the shift. That's the shift that we're seeking to make today if you're wrestling with despair, okay? And so say this with me now. My God is my hope and salvation. He loves me. My God is my hope and salvation. He loves me. Look up here. This is so important. You don't work your way back to God. You believe your way back to God. It's so crucial. We're not working our way back to God. You're believing your way back to God. This is not a muscling it. This is not a white knuckling, muscling, I will do this. It's believing God and his character and his promises. 
Many of us have tried to muscle it before. It's left us nowhere. We don't work our way back to God. We believe our way back to God, and we trust him for who he is, his character and his promises. And what I love is there really is no conclusion here in the psalm. Is there not the one that we'd like to see? But that's the beauty of it. I'm not sure the psalmist got life just all figured out. But we see his heart making a move. I don't see his circumstances changing here. But I see his heart changing. And it's a beautiful picture. I see his heart changing. And with God, that is possible. It is possible. Look back to the anchor. Storms of life, trials, tribulations, they will come. People will fail you. Feelings will scream at you. Drop the anchor. Drop the anchor of your soul onto God and his promises. Don't hold on. Sink it in into who God is and what he promises in his word. Attach the anchor to your soul to the one who is worthy and able. So, naturally, let me ask you, who's your hope in? Who is your hope in? Where have you placed your hope? Is it placed rightly or misplaced? Where is your hope? And I know some of you may say, well, I have deep pain, and I don't want to minimize that pain. I don't think God would. He knows what it means to suffer. But your way out from despair is never dependent on how bad the pain is, but it all depends on where your faith rests. Okay, your way out from despair is never dependent on where your pain is. It all depends on where your faith rests. And so you look up to the God of truth. We look up to the God of truth. You know, back in 2005, I was wrestling with, let's say this, very discouraged, very defeated, very much doubting. And I was wrestling, and my heart was wrestling with God. Wrestling with what I knew to be true about God, with what my circumstances were saying, what my feelings were screaming. And so in the midst of it, as I got before God and prayed and read his word, I wrote out this poem. And I want you to hear now, this, is my, this was like a psalm really for me, and my heart is really wrestling and pursuing the right voice of hope and worship. It goes like this. I cannot change my heart no matter what I do. My dependence is on you to make me clean and new. So I lay myself before you and I seek your face, trusting in your love, relying on your grace, knowing that this trial, this time of intense pain, will bring about your glory, the lamb for me whom slain. So many questions run through my mind, not sure with what to say, but on my knees I humbly come to pour out my heart and pray. I cannot see what you're doing, Lord. To me it doesn't seem right. But in my darkness I cling to the truth. I walk by faith, not sight. So as I sit in my own small garden, suffering alone, you raise my head and softly say, heaven's your only home. This season for me is of your will, this I know quite well. And as you bring me strength from fear, your faithfulness I'll tell. 
I don't know what lies ahead for me, not sure with what's in store, but by obedience, I deny myself and carry my cross once more. Church, the only reason I had hope then and the only reason I have hope now is because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. And so this psalm really speaks to all of us. The hope for all of us is the same. Put your hope in Jesus Christ, my God and my salvation. Put your hope in God, my God, my God and my salvation. 